Well, good morning, everyone. Hope you're doing really, really well. And thank you for being here, whether you're online or here in the room. Uh, thanks for connecting this Sunday as we continue this discussion around this whole idea of me, myself, and why. Uh, I'm not trying to talk about me, myself, and I, um, but about the idea that we're so different. All of us are so different. Uh, we think differently, we speak differently, we, we assimilate information differently, we make decisions differently, we have different perspectives. And this morning, what I wanna do is, I I want to talk about one of the areas that our differences impact probably the most, and that is our relationships. Because wherever you look, there are people. And at home, there are people that you have to live with <laughs> and you have to do life with, and they're different. Um, marriage and uh, spouse, husband, wife, kids, they're different and they have their own opinions. I don't know why sometimes, but they do. And we have to live with those opinions. Uh, when you go to work, there are people, there's bosses, colleagues, employees that we have to work with and live with. And the differences in our lives <laughs> so often make it easy to literally just miss each other. Like you're in the same place, you're trying to do the same thing, you love each other, but you just miss each other and you misunderstand or miscommunicate or mishear or, or just, just miss each other. This is uh, actually one of the main reasons why all these personality profiles and assessments have been used and developed so that we can understand each other. We have people in our church who are consultants who consult with organizations and companies and the leaders of these organizations and the staff to go, hey, do you realize that that we do things differently, and if you understand each other, if you see the differences that will help you go further faster and they consult people. Um, my wife and I remember reading a book a few years into our marriage, and man, it was hilarious reading this book because it defined and described the differences between us, and it talked about how those differences impact the way we communicate, the way we uh, handle conflict, and impact our marriage just thoroughly because we're different. When we do premarital counseling, one of the sessions we focus on is called different by design. I mean, the differences in us as people is so huge and it impacts our relationships wherever we are, wherever we go, it impacts our relationships tremendously. And as you study these self-assessments, they use a specific word that I think is very helpful in understanding them. Um, a lot of times, as you do these self-assessments, they use the word preferences. They say this, this will describe your preferences relationally, your preferences and how you navigate life. And the reason I like that they use that word is because number one, it, it, it says that I'm not trying to define your whole personality, your whole being, who you are. I'm defining your preferences. And, and it, it helps in understanding that, okay, good, it's a self-assessment thing. I'm saying what I like, what I don't like, what I prefer, and these are my preferences. So that's the first reason I like that they use that word. The second reason I like it is because if I love my wife, I probably wanna know what she prefers, right? <laughs> I probably should know what her preferences are. My kids, it's so helpful if you know what their preferences are as you navigate relationships and, and walking and doing life together. At work, if you know that your colleagues' preferences, your employees, your boss's preferences, it just helps so much. And so that's how I think important Understanding the differences between us is because it impacts our relationships so much. My wife and I actually um, experienced this in a massive, massive way. You see, and this is a little embarrassing, so it is what it is, it's true, so you know, sorry, and I don't know, go with it or whatever. I'm kind of saying this is what happened when I got married. When I got married, 
I don't know how this happened, but I think it happens with several, a few of us, maybe not all of us, but probably a lot of us. But when I came into marriage, I came in with the real honest thought that my way was the best way. (laughs) And like really, that my way was the only way. Like I didn't even realize that my wife could see things and do things just differently. Like why would she? My way's great, right? And, that, and I really thought that I was surprised to, to discover that she thinks about things, assimilates information, makes decisions completely differently. And as a result of me coming into marriage like that, honestly, um, we missed each other for years. We completely misunderstood each other. So much miscommunication happened and it led to a ton of conflict and a ton of pain for, for years in our marriage. Um, And I'm telling you, if we had continued down that path, I have no doubt that our marriage would have ended. There's no way it could have survived so much misunderstanding, so much miscommunication, so much missing of each other. Let me see if I can paint just a little picture of how it felt as we were navigating, trying to relate, trying to do marriage. I mean, the most intimate relationship you have as we were trying to navigate it. What it felt like was when she would say something, I would hear something completely different. And then I would respond to what I thought she was saying, and I thought my response was great, obviously, I thought it was amazing, but it wouldn't even register with her, because she was saying something that I thought, I understood it completely different, I would respond to what I thought, and then it just wouldn't land, because it was landing in a place where she she was like, what are you talking about? Because we would miss each other. Um, uh, Like, I would say something with a really good heart and good motives, and it would hurt her. (laughs) <laughs> Why? <laughs> How? But it would, it would hurt her. And then she would respond out of hurt, and I had no clue why. And it was crazy, like how on earth an example of this was, was seen when, when the way we would kind of come out of conflict. So if we had conflict and we had a fight and it was, you know, said things and did things and screamed and it was just not nice, we had a fight, but we kind of got to the place where we started to resolve and started feeling good about it. Um, I had this desire after that, you know, as we were coming out of it, now, now don't, you can laugh if you want, but don't. You know, it'd be nice. Um, I would come out of these arguments and these, these, these conflict moments when I would want to rehash everything again. Because I thought, and it was it really made sense in my mind that if we just come out of something, if we talk about everything that we just did and said and how it was said, then we'd have clarity. I see some people's shoulders going. Um, thanks for laughing quietly. Appreciate it. Um, but I would want to clarify everything that we did and everything we just said so we could have clarity and understand each other and move forward well. But what she felt was when I would do that, she's like, haven't we dealt with this? <laughs> Aren't we through it? And it felt like I was rubbing her face in the mess of everything we just went through and pointed out every single weakness, every fault, and so it would make her feel terrible all over again, and we'd start again. And I wouldn't know why. Because isn't it brilliant to clarify everything? <laughs> isn't it brilliant to understand everything? And then I remember, I honestly remember where we were, she remembers too, where we were when we had this understanding and realized what was actually going on. You see, I am more sensing in how I process information, which means that I think about things, I wanna hear the words, I wanna touch it, I wanna see it, I wanna understand it. And so talking and words and discussing things is really important to me because I can really assimilate that information well as I understand everything that happens. But she... She's intuitive, so somehow she just gets it. 
No words, no nothing. She just gets it. And you know what? She's usually right. <laughs> she sees it before I can see it. As I want to discuss and do it, she has seen it before I've seen it. And she, like I said, she's usually right. And I don't know how, but she has this intuition thing that I can't see. And so after conflict, she felt great because she knew we were through it. It was fine. She was, she was good because we were resolved. But my sensing had not gotten there yet. And so as we came through, for me, talking clarified things. For her, talking confused things. And we would do this dance over and over again, and why, and why, and I'm telling you, when we discovered this reality, that the way she assimilates information is totally different to me, and then I would go, oh, that's why you don't like it. And she would go, oh, that's why you need to talk. It was amazing, because we discovered we had pretty much been talking a different language for six years. <laughs> I was trying to say the same thing she was trying to say, but I was saying it in German, she was saying it in Chinese, and we were like, whew. And then we discovered they were different. We see things differently. We have different needs. I have certain needs that she doesn't have. She has certain needs that I don't have. And I'm telling you, when we saw this, it not only changed how we talked, how we communicated, how we handled conflict, but it changed how we saw each other. Man, and discovering the differences, understanding our preferences and communication needs was so important. And, and it wasn't as easy as just going, oh, I've discovered it. No, I needed help. I needed people around me, wise people who'd bump their heads and help me navigate that and help me see. And also people who I trusted enough and they were safe enough to point out where I was defending myself and where I was proving that I was right and she was wrong. People who could see through my perspective of me being right helped me navigate that and get to the place where everything changed for us as a couple. It's huge understanding these differences. We've also seen the benefit of this in our children. We have two sons, both of them are teenagers now, which means they have an opinion. <laughs> and it's crazy, like all these opinions in the house, but getting to the place where as they navigate their own relationships, as they navigate their relationship, as they navigate the natural sibling rivalry that comes up with all of us as kids as we grow up, discovering that they have different needs has been so helpful in a language. Like one of them has this need to be respected and heard by the other. The other one has a need to feel affirmed and valued by the other. Now those are needs that we all have, we all want that, but as we talked about it, and as they heard those words, it created a new language and gave them the ability in their relationship to build each other up. Just so fascinating and so helpful. Now, here's the thing. My guess is that it's not just me and my wife that have faced this. It's not just our family that have gone through this. My guess is all of us have bumped into this relational weirdness and tension in our lives in some way, shape, or form. We've bumped into relational tension. We've bumped into marriage misunderstandings, my guess is, if you're married. We've bumped into feeling like anything you do for the other person just isn't landing sometimes. Bumped into feeling misunderstood. Bumped into this idea that we struggle to understand sometimes. All of us have bumped into our relationships and how the differences in us just creates um, difficulty, tension, struggle in relationship. I think it's just a part of our lives. And this is why I'm so grateful for Christianity. Because Christianity not only acknowledges that we're all different, it says that, yes, we're all different, and it doesn't only acknowledge that 
In those differences, we have different desires and that causes conflict, but it actually offers really practical help speaking into this dynamic so clearly, but it doesn't, and this is why I love it, it doesn't only stop there with a practical help, hey, you should try this. It goes further than that and it says, hey, not only do I want you to try this and do this, but I'm gonna help you do it. I wanna give you the ability. I wanna change your heart, not just tell you what to do, but Christianity says I wanna change your heart at the root so that it can change on the inside, not just a practical thing on the outside. And I love how it does that. It's so beautiful. So I wanna show you how Christianity speaks into this idea of relational differences and the tension that it creates. We're gonna look at a letter that the Apostle Paul wrote. Uh, Paul was a guy who met Jesus, discovered a whole bunch of the wisdom of Jesus. He applied it to his life and it changed him. But he also discovered more than just the wisdom, he discovered the life-changing reality of Christianity and it changed him. And everything he wrote, he kind of expresses that reality. So we're gonna look at a letter that he wrote to a group of Christians living in the Roman city of Ephesus, and these Christians were there and he was writing to them how to handle this kind of relational dynamic where people are different. And he starts off, or at least where we're gonna start looking at it, he starts off really, really practically. We're gonna start by looking at Ephesians chapter four, verse 29. Ephesians chapter four, verse 29. It says this. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouth, but only what is helpful for building others up. So I think what he's saying, it's pretty clear. Hey guys, if you would just pause, take the time to think about what you're saying and then ask, does that build others up? Does it build others up? And he makes it very clear, he never wants anything to come out of our mouths that tears people down. He says, do not let any unwholesome word come out of your mouth, but only what is helpful for building others up. So even those times when we, when we joke and we like tear someone down jokingly and everybody else laughs and they kind of half laugh because we know how it feels when someone jokes and they go, I'm just kidding. <laughs> those moments where people are just kidding on you, on me, they hurt. And he says, hey, I want you to build others up. Don't let any unwholesome, only what is helpful. So I think it's very helpful for us in light of this, in light of relational differences and miscommunication, I think it's really important for us to ask ourselves that question practically. Like maybe this week, ask yourself the question, what are my words like to my wife? How do I speak about her? And how do I speak to her? Do they tear her down? Do they make her look less important? or less valuable? Do they make her look like she doesn't know and her thoughts aren't valid? Do they honor her, my words? Do they honor my wife? Or what about words that you say about your husband? Do they build him up? Do they make him look stupid or incompetent or silly or, or not smart or not good enough? What about the words coming out of my mouth? Do they honor him? Do they build him up? What about the words to our kids? Do they make our words, when we speak about them or to them, do they feel like they're just a frustration? Do they feel like they're, they shouldn't be there? They're not worth our time. Do they build them up? And I know we've got to parent kids and I know we've got to discipline and help and train them, but do we take the time to differentiate between the behavior and the person? 
Because as us, when we grew up as kids, my, my guess is all of us felt moments where our parents said things that felt like that was just defining who we are. Do we take the time to differentiate between the behavior and the person? Do our words build, our words build them up? And you can take that further. What about friends who you're dating, siblings, colleagues, employees? Do our words build up or tear down. Paul's saying, I don't want any unwholesome words to come out of your mouth, but only what is helpful for building others up. And then Paul actually adds something that is so fascinating that he adds this in the scripture. And my guess is many times when we read scripture, we just kind of go past this. And if you read this, maybe you've never seen this, but it's fascinating. And it brings this conversation right into the middle of this me, myself, and why discussion. He says, do not let any unwholesome words talk come out of your mouth, but only what is helpful for building others up. And then he says, according to their needs. Only words that will build them up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. That when I talk to my wife, that I don't think of what I would need, I think of what she would need. When I talk to my kids, colleagues, employees, anyone, I don't think about how I would understand this. I think about how they would. Because the reality is, back to that story of me and my wife, with my wife, I want to rehash things and look at every detail, but she doesn't. So how am I going to navigate this? Paul tells us to do it according to her needs, according to his needs. And I'm telling you, man, the beauty of this is what if, if you're married, a husband and a wife are fighting to discover and love and build up according to each other's needs, how would that feel? Friendships, working relationships, what if we're all fighting to work and speak and do according to each other's needs? It will create an environment that just feels like we're built up, feels like it's beneficial for all of us, and that's what Paul's getting at. And he wants us to, to speak and build up according to their needs, it's a beautiful relational dynamic. And the benefit of discovering the preferences of the other, this is why self-assessment tests are really good in the sense that if we can discover what this other person needs, man, it'll help so much. What if we took the time? Seriously, what, what if we took the time to actually find out, what does my wife actually need? I think I know. But my guess is most of that has been tainted for the first six years of our marriage. What I thought she wanted was exactly what I needed. It's weird. And I was wrong. But what if we take the time to actually find out, to actually discover, to ask the questions? Even if you don't like these personality tests, and that's fine. But what if we took the time, if you don't like it and you don't go that way, to actually ask. Maybe there's a few questions we can ask. Spend some time with the important people in your life and ask them, your spouse, your kids, your friends, your colleagues, your employees, ask them, what do you need from me? What do you need from me? What if we took the time and actually asked, what do you need from me? But maybe sometimes that question's hard to answer. It's like, uh, I don't know. So go deeper. Where do I not build you up? What if we ask that question? Where practically? Do I not build you up? These are hard questions to ask. Where do I not build you up? When do you feel torn down and not built up? Because then we'll discover what do they need? What do they, how do they feel? How do, they, how do the things I say land with them? How can I build you up more? There's another question we can ask. How can I encourage you? What do you need from me? And then, this is the hardest part, 
listen. Because you know what rises up in me when those kind of questions, when I ask and the answer comes back and it stings a little, it's like defensive. Well, I, I, didn't, I didn't mean that. Well, that's not the point. It's not according to my needs. It's according to hers, according to my kids, according to the people around me, their needs. So take the time to listen because it's according to their needs. I'm telling you, it would do wonders. It does wonders for relationships, for communication, for family, marriage, and in the workplace. And I'm telling you, when I realized that building my wife up felt different and looked different to what I need for building me up, it changed everything. And it sent me on a mission to understand her, to value her, even though she said it differently the way I, to how I said it. And at first, I didn't value that. I valued what I thought. But when I, I realized this, I went on a mission to try and understand and value her and know. And she did the same for me. And I'm telling you, it has done so much for our marriage. We honestly, in our marriage, feel built up now, which is kind of cool in a marriage to feel built up. It's so different from when it was in the beginning. Not that it's perfect, I still say dumb things. I still get drawn back to me. And sometimes it still hurts, but the general, there's grace for that, there's space for that, and we feel built up. But here's the reality, here's the reality. This is not easy, you know why? Because we want things done according to whose needs? Mine. I want it done according to mine, and I want everybody else to do it according to mine as well. So this is not easy. And so this is something that if, if we want to see this happen, but what if she doesn't? What if he doesn't? What if I try, and then I'm taking care of his needs, and he's taking care of his needs? Then what? But I'm telling you, if we can start, and that's the beauty of Christianity, and we're going to get to something more amazing than just this practical thing in a minute. But the beauty is, if we can start, it has the chance of changing the dynamic of a relationship. But it's not easy. It's going to take us being humble. It's going to take us being inquisitive. It's going to take us being safe for the other person, and it's going to take us putting them first. And so as I thought through that, I've actually made an, a silly acronym for myself to remember those four things, because I think if we have those four things in a relationship, humble, inquisitive, safe, and putting others first, I think it, it changes the relationship. And the silly acronym I have in the context of God, because I think God calls us and wants us to live this way, is am I his servant? H-I-S, servant. Am I humble? H, am I inquisitive? I, am I safe? S, and am I his servant? Am I this person's servant, putting them above me, putting their needs above my own, living my life, talking in a way that builds them up according to their needs? Am I a humble, inquisitive, safe servant? Am I his servant? I'm telling you, I believe if we can live our relationships like this, I think it'll change the relationships completely. But again, again, I don't want to pretend that this is easy because it's not if it was easy, everybody would do it. We'd have uh, you know, people walking around going, I'm his servant, I'm humble, inquisitive, safe servants, and yet our world is more defined by divisiveness and self-centeredness and all that stuff. This is not easy. It's not easy. And I'm telling you, I'm telling you, I nearly destroyed my marriage, and I was already in ministry. I was preaching, and then I was doing this at home. Nearly destroyed my marriage, and I'm so grateful 
I'm so grateful. We discovered this. I'm so grateful there's a God who doesn't just give instructions, says do this, because I thought I was doing it perfectly, but actually begins to change the heart. And that's why, that's why, because our natural way, our natural tendency as humans is to do it according to my needs, to go self-centered, not to think of other people's needs first, um, not to ask questions, so what are your needs? When I ask that question, I'm asking it so that you'll ask me. <laughs> that's not our natural tendency, but that's why I love the context of Paul's instruction. The context of when he said this adds so much more to this because Christianity does not just sort of say, hey, here's a list of things that if you do, you'll do it great and your marriage will be awesome. That's not what Christianity is. Christianity acknowledges that we in and of ourselves don't do this. But if we have the life that he gives, the, the strength, the, the life change that he creates in us through our faith in Christ, it changes things and it opens up a way for God to actually help us live out these things that help so much in us that we can actually do them. Let me show you the context of when Paul said this. So he gives this incredible instruction of, hey, this is what I want you to do. Don't let any unwholesome words come out of your mouth, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs. And it's like, this is what I want you to do. But the context shows how, shows what the foundation is. So let's go back to verse 17, Ephesians chapter four, verse 17, where he starts this little paragraph talking about this. And he starts by saying this, so I tell you this, and I insist on it in the Lord, that you must no longer live as the Gentiles do. Now, usually when I've read scriptures like that growing up, the way I read it was this, don't do what bad people do. Do what Jesus says you must do. That's how I read that. Don't be like the bad Gentiles. Do what Jesus says. So, so it feels like Christianity is do good things, do what Good people do, not what bad people do. But I don't think that's at all what Paul was saying. I'll show you why I say that. Because when he uses the word Gentiles, that word refers to people that did not believe in God. Did not believe that there was a real God who really pursues you, who really wants to engage with you, who really knows that you are human. Therefore imperfect, therefore unable to live to his perfect standards. I mean, we don't even live to our own standards. And Christianity, and that presents that idea. And when Paul talks about Gentiles, he's going, the Gentiles are people who don't believe in a God that is that. That a God that wants to change and help us from the inside out. They believe in something else, maybe an idol, maybe something else in that context. Gentiles are people who don't believe in the God that Christianity portrays. So with that in mind, look what Paul actually says. He says, so I tell you, I insist on in the Lord that you must no longer live as the Gentiles do. And he's not talking about action. He's talking about something deeper. He says, don't live like people who don't believe in God in the futility of their thinking. So they don't know or think about the reality that there is a God who actually wants to do something in us who can help and change us from the inside out, a God who's actually present and with us. So Paul's basically saying this, guys, if you have trusted Christ and you believe that his spirit is in you, then doesn't that change the game? Doesn't that change the whole picture? He continues in verse 18, he says, they, people who don't believe that God is with you and in you, they are darkened in their understanding 
and they, and this is huge, and they are separated from the life of God. And I think what he's saying is this, that people who don't believe in the God that Christianity offers are separated from the life that Christianity offers. And when I say life, I don't mean the way you live, I mean the vitality, the, 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 the power, the strength, the life change that happens on the inside, which, which makes sense that if people who don't believe in the God that Christianity offers are separated from the life that Christianity offers, because if I don't believe in him, then why would I believe that his life is there to help me and actually can change me? In other words, what I think Paul is saying is this. Without faith in Christ, the life, the help, the internal life change that Jesus promised when we place our faith in Christ is not accessible. We're separated from that because it comes when we trust, when we trust Christ. In other words, without faith in Christ, we're separated from the reality of what God wants to do in us. But when we trust in Christ, Christianity teaches that His Spirit comes and lives in us, actually beginning to change us from the inside out and make us more like Jesus. And unless we've trusted in Christ, Paul teaches and Christianity expresses that, that we don't have access, that, that, that that's, if we don't trust Him, then He can't help us. But when we trust Him, that His life is actually in us, the vitality, the power that God wants to put in us, it's there. And Paul's saying, guys, I don't want you to live without that. All these instructions that I'm giving you, that God's calling you to, there's no way you'll live that consistently without this. I don't want you to live without that if you've trusted Him. Live like He's in you. Live like He's in you. He continues to describe that. And then kind of in verse 20, he says something to these Christian people, people who have trusted Christ. He says in verse 20, that, however, is not the way of life you learned. When you heard about Christ and were taught in him in accordance with the truth that is in Jesus, verse 22, you were taught, and this is huge, with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self. And what Paul does here is he reminds these, these people that before they trusted Christ, they had a self that was only defined by their imperfect humanity that they did not have God's spirit and God's life as a definer of their lives. And that old self, that humanness, is being corrupted by its deceitful desires. It's being hurt, it's being broken down by its deceitful desires, which sounds very spiritual and theological, but if you think about it, we all have deceitful desires, meaning we have desires that deceive us, right? Why do we want things that hurt us? Why do we want things that hurt the people around us? They're just, they deceive us. Why do we want things that hurt our relationships? I mean, think about it in this context. We have a desire that our relationship will revolve around and according to our needs, right? That doesn't work in relationships. If, if this person is wanting their needs and this person wanting their needs, where's the relationship? There is none. We're kind of going along, and this will eventually break relationships, but if we're desiring according to each other's needs, and yet there's something in us that deceives us, these desires, I want it, you need to do it my way, my way, my way, that's gonna break and corrupt and hurt relationships. So Paul is saying that in and of ourselves, our old selves, without the life and love and help of God in us, will always tend toward ourselves. But... 
He explains this old self. Look where he goes, though. And this is why I love Christianity so much, because it doesn't leave us there. It offers life, the life of God, his spirit in us. It starts, you were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires. Verse 23, to be made new. In the attitude of your minds, in the internal things, not in do it or doing it all right. No, it starts inside to be made new in the attitude of your minds and to put on the new self created to be like God, more like Jesus in true righteousness and holiness. That we have been created to be like him, like Jesus. And how? because his spirit is in us. Now, I just wanna pause here. I'm gonna go on very soon, but I wanna pause here and just say this, that if, if you're not a Christian and you hear this, that God is with people and that we're supposed to love because he goes on, the next word he says is therefore. Therefore, and he makes a list of things we should do and not do and so often as Christians, we look at these lists in the Bible that we should do and not do, and we go, well, if I do that, I'm a Christian. Paul says, no, the list is secondary. The way we do the list is because of what he's done in us. The foundation of all of that is this new self, and the new self is not based on my ability to do stuff. It's based on the reality that, that, that God is real. Don't think about this like Gentiles do. People who don't even believe there's a God. No, I want you to recognize, no, there is this God who when we trust Christ, he puts himself in us and changes us. And the reason I brought up the thing about if you're not a Christian and you've bumped into Christians that don't feel like this, they don't build others up according to their needs. They're all about their own needs sometimes. And I think the reason that happens sometimes is because we're so focused on doing the Christian things we've been taught and we forget that there is a God who's actually there and in us. That's the message of Christianity. It is not to, to call people to a list of things and ask imperfect people to do a list of things that don't come naturally. He, right in the context of, of this portion where he's saying, no, 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 don't, don't live like the Gentiles do, the old self. No, live from the new self created by God to be like Jesus. In that context, he says what we're looking at, do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs. Right there. It's founded on the reality that God wants to change us on the inside. And I think so often we forget that. We make it about a list. And if it's not founded, we begin to live like people who don't even know that God is there. Christianity has never called us to a list. It has called us to a place where we acknowledge that we as humans will always fall short of doing these unselfish things. But if we can acknowledge that reality, if we can acknowledge, this is what Christianity teaches, if we can acknowledge that reality that I don't live up to it, I don't even live up to my own standards, and recognize our need for help in doing it, and realize that God sent Christ to actually help and actually save us from ourselves and give us his spirit to help us in this new self, then we can begin to walk in this kind of life and relationship. And I'm telling you, if we do that, if we humbly recognize our inability and his ability, it changes our relationships. And that's why I think Paul said, hey guys, I don't want you to live as the Gentiles do. 
people who don't even know that God is there. I'm telling you, as you know, in this discovery, what happened in me as I realized, I had to humbly realize my inability to do this. And when I did, it changed everything. I've seen it in my marriage, I've seen it with my kids. When we humbly recognize this, it changes not only how we do it, but it changes how we see ourselves and how we see one another. And it changes how we treat one another and how we can speak in ways that build the other up according to their needs. It doesn't happen all the time (laughs) because I still drag my old self with me wherever I go. It's such a bummer. (laughs) But I do. But when I lean into this new self, when I lean into this God that's actually with me, that's what Christianity teaches then I have more hope, more ability, more strength to be able to actually live this, and my marriage is different for it. I'm so grateful that he's changed my heart, not just my actions, but my heart. And I really value this different life of mine. And as a result, I can see things differently now because I see through her eyes as well now, and it's crazy. I'm way smarter because of it. It's way cooler but it took work and it took recognizing. The main work was me humbly acknowledging my inability and his ability, and it changed me. Paul ends this this whole thing with a bit of an exclamation, and he, he says in verse 30, and do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God with whom you were sealed. The word sealed in a different translation translates it identified as his own. A seal of approval is like, I identify this as what I like and what I'm creating. And so he says, do not grieve the Holy Spirit with whom you were sealed. Earlier in uh, the letter, in chapter one, verse 13, he says this, and when you believed in Christ, he identified you as his own, sealed you. He identified you as his own by giving you the Holy Spirit. Christianity does not just call us to do Christian things, do nice things, don't be like bad people. No, it says, "Uh -uh uh-uh-uh-uh. Christianity says, recognize (laughs) that you're human. You're not gonna live up to the standards that God has called us to. You're not going to. It's impossible, but recognize that I sent my son to actually help you. And when we trust in him, he gives us his spirit and puts him in us, his spirit in us, that it changes us from the inside out and we can begin to live out the life that he's made us to live. And it changes everything. It's from him. It's because he's changed us. Changed us. It's not from my old self. This is the new self that he's talking about. And I'm telling you, if we can live there, it'll give us the ability to do this instruction that we're looking at today. Not let any unwholesome talk come out of our mouths, but only what is good and helpful for building others up according to their needs. Again, not perfectly because I drag my mess around me, with me forever. But what I've discovered, what I've discovered is my marriage now builds up and before it tore down. And this is what changed. This discovery that, oh my gosh, I don't do it like I should. And in him, because of him, I can know her, value her, and it changes everything. As Christians, as people who've believed in Christ, His life is in us. It draws us to be more like Christ. And when we don't, he said, don't grieve the Holy Spirit. When we don't, something in us is saddened because his spirit is in us. And when we do and lean into him, it gives us the ability to walk around as his servant, humble, 
inquisitive, safe servants of others. It's a powerful thing because I'm no longer defined just by me, myself, and I. I'm defined by him. So as we end, I want to leave us with just a few questions. Two big ideas. The first question that I want to leave us with as we go out of this and think about this this week. Am I building others up? Am I building others up? In my words, my wife, my husband, my kids, my coworkers, my boss, how I talk to them and how I talk about them. Am I building them up? Ask them. It's a little scary, but man, it can help humble us to where we recognize we need help, which brings us to the second one. Have I trusted Christ? Do I trust Christ or am I just doing this in my, am I living like someone who doesn't believe in God? Because when we trust, Christianity says, when we trust him, his spirit enters the picture and actually helps and changes everything. So am I building others up? Have I trusted Christ? Do I trust Christ? Let me pray for us. Father, thank you so much. Oh gosh, thank you so much for your life. Thank you so much for your love. Thank you for your grace. God, thank you that you pursue us all the time, even when, oh man, for so many years, I just did it my way, thinking I was awesome. Thank you that you continue to pursue and pursue and pursue. Thank you that you're real. Thank you that you can put your heart, your, your, your finger on our hearts that, and, and point to where we're, <laughs> where we're hurting ourselves and hurting those around us. Thank you, God, that you do that in such a loving way. And Father, I pray that we can recognize where we tear down and not build up. We can recognize where we want it according to my way. And Father, would you help us in that recognize that we need help. And then when we trust you, it's not just instructions you give, it's help, it's saving, it's redeeming that you give. I pray that you help us discover that in real ways. In Jesus' name. Amen.